This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Pastor Matt Woodley and is part five of our Lent 2016 series. When I was living on Long Island, um, we had a dog, a 70-pound, hulking, big-shouldered, half-beagle, half we could never figure out what it was, maybe yellow lab, but it was all hound, houndy, houndy dog. And I nicknamed him Houdini because he had more ways to escape than you could possibly imagine. And he escaped at least once a week. Um, Maybe we're just bad dog people, but I think he was a genius dog, the Houdini of dogs. So um, Dwight would be gone for 24 hours at least in the dense underbrush of Long Island neighborhoods. He would just run and run and run and run. And we could hear him howling like three, four, five, six blocks away with his deep, beagly baritone howling for all his life, you know. And then I would imagine at some point in his escapade, something in his little doggy brain would click and he would come to his senses. And in his doggy brain and in his doggy way, he would think, you know, I had it pretty good in Matt's house, my master, and now I'm pretty hungry and I'm thirsty and I'm tired and I still haven't found what I'm looking for. So I think it's time to come home. And then he would come home, and he would drag himself home. He would never go to the front door. He would always go to our side door on our basement. And there he was, all muddy and stinky and hot, and his big beagle ears drooping and the tongue hanging out. And he would look at me with those incredibly sad beagle eyes that said, Do you still love me? Do you want me back? And I would say, all right, Dwight, come on home. Uh, I tell you this story because I can't think of the story of Jesus that he told that we sometimes call the story of the prodigal son. I can't think of that story without thinking of my friend Dwight. May he rest his peace. He's in doggy heaven now. But I still, Dwight lives on. His legacy lives on. And the thing about Dwight is that Dwight is like us. Dwight is like me. I'm like Dwight. And that's the point Jesus is trying to make in this story. That this story that Jesus told is not just a story about some guy that lived 2,000 years ago that has some interesting implications for our life. He's trying to tell us this is our story. This is the human story. This is my story. This is your story. I want to focus on one little detail in this story that often gets overlooked which I think is the crucial turning point of the entire story. So if you pull out the the Scripture reading, and maybe you're very familiar with this story. Maybe you've heard it hundreds of times, thousands of times. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard this story, and so you're wondering what this story is all about. But there's a little detail in this story that we often just race right by because there's so much going on in this story and so much drama and so much emotion. But verse 17 It says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father. 
I want to focus on those little words. He came to his senses. Literally, it could be translated from the original language it was written in. He came back to himself. Because he's not only lost his relationship with his father, but he's lost his relationship with his self. And he needed to come back to himself as well as coming back to his father. Now, that moment, that come to your senses moment, is really the turning point of this story. And it's the point that's going to lead to freedom. More freedom than the prodigal son could ever imagine. And I want us to look at how the come to senses moment in our life are, although they might be scary, although they might be painful, they are the moment when we begin to find true freedom in our life. So I want to talk about three things this morning. First of all, why we need to come to our senses. Secondly, how do we come to our senses? And third, what do we do once we've come to our senses? What's our next step? We've come to our senses. What do we do next? You know, this story is a very simple story. And uh, let me diagram it for you this way. So with my high-tech illustration here, okay? So the story begins in the father's house, okay? And it ends in the father's house. Kind of a simple story. Should be simple. Now, if this is about our universal story, our universal story of our relationship with God, wouldn't it be really nice if the plot went like this? And your life went like that. Boom. I'm just in the Father's house. I go to the Father's house. I never leave. I never wander. Unfortunately, like us, the prodigal son takes a much different route. And his, the, the arc of the story goes something like this. He leaves the Father's house and he comes back. Now, the turning point of the story is right here. We'll draw a little box This is his come to his senses moment in verse 17 and 18, where he comes to his senses and he says, I will set out. It's not just the low point of the story, it's the turning point of the story. It's a turning point that leads to freedom. Now, why does he need to come to his senses? Well, let's look at a few highlights or lowlights of the downward arc of his life, because this is our story again. Notice what he does first. In verse 12, he comes to his father and he says, Father, give me my share of the estate. Now, nobody in Jesus' day would have done that. It's just so utterly shocking, so utterly unheard of, so utterly insolent and rude and disrespectful that no one would have done this. And yet Jesus is saying, this is like our relationship with God the Father. What he's really saying is, I want the share of the inheritance that's due me, and I want the right to liquidate it so I can take it and I can run. Now, in Jesus' day, you didn't get that right to liquidate your father's inheritance until the father was dead. So he's basically telling his father, I wish you were dead, but you're not, so can I have your share of inheritance and I'll be off. So at that point, basically what he's saying is, I want out of this relationship. I don't want you in my life. I don't want some father over me telling me what to do. I want to be on my own. And I want to break the relationship. That is the very essence of what the Bible calls sin. So he takes his money and he leaves. He goes into the distant country. And we're told that he squandered it in verse 13. He squandered it in wild living. So he leaves. 
He's squandering it. Now, a lot of times, sometimes Christians will say that sin always has immediate and devastating consequences. That is a lie. The Bible doesn't teach that either. There's not immediate, devastating consequences. At this point, the prodigal son thinks he's going up. He's really going down, but he doesn't know that. He feels like he's going up in the world in this wild living. I would imagine that he is having, at this point, maybe the best time of his life. He is having a blast. He's squandering his father's money. Now, a couple things. First of all, it's his father's money that he's squandering. It's not his money, which is, again, a great picture of the Christian life. We're not spending our own money. We are stewards of everything that God has given us. But at this point, this wild living is going pretty good. But unfortunately, wild living is sort of like skydiving without a parachute. Eventually, you're going to hit the ground. And then the party's over. And eventually, we're going to hit death. Since last time I checked, the world death rate is still holding steady at 100% for everybody. Eventually, we're all going to hit the ground without a parachute. So that leads us to here. He begins to be in need. And something reverses in this story. So it says he longed to fill his pods with what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. He's basically in bondage to his own desires. You see, he set out to become free, and now he's in bondage. He's trapped. He's curved in on himself. He wanted freedom, but now he can't give himself to others in love the way God created us. He's trapped by his own stuff. This happens to all of us. We want to be free, but then we get trapped by our own addictions, our own lust, our own greed, our own fear and anxiety, our own need to control things and people around us, our own drive to just have comfort and pleasure and to have life the way we want it, to manage life the way we want it, and in the end, we wind up trapped. You know, before Robin Williams, at the age of 63, took his own life, he was interviewed by Barbara Walters, and he said this, talking about his lifelong battle with various substance addictions. He said, this is a quote, my addiction is not caused by anything, it's just there. The addiction waits. It lays and waits for the next time you think, it's fine now, I'm okay. Then the next thing you know, it's not okay. Then you realize, where am I? I didn't realize I was in Cleveland. Now, I mentioned this quote, not to criticize Robin Williams, but to say I can relate to Robin Williams. You fill in your own blank, I can fill in my own blank. And to to say, I thought it was okay, I thought I had it, I thought I could manage life, I thought I could do the Christian life, and then I realized I can't, and I'm not okay. That's why we all need to come to our senses. Well, how do we come to our senses? Well, notice, this is the place of absolute clarity and honesty. He stops running, he stops going down, he faces himself. And in a moment of simple, honest courage, he's able to say, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I have broken a relationship and I can't manage this anymore. It's an honest expression. He doesn't blame anybody. He doesn't make excuses. He gets to the point of coming to his senses. His senses. Not somebody else's senses, but his senses. 
Now, here's the problem, though. We don't want to come to this point. So what we do is we build walls of protection around ourselves, walls of defensiveness, walls of denial, walls of rationalization, walls walls of minimizing our sin, walls of comparing ourselves to others. Well, I may struggle with that, but oh man, I know some people that are really struggling with that sin. Or, yeah, you know, I feel bitter and resentful, but you don't know what he, she, he did or she did or they did. Yeah, it's really hard to live the Christian life, but it's harder for me because dot, dot, dot. Or it could be a wall of shame. If people saw what I really need to come to my senses with, I would feel shame. And I don't know if they would love me. And I don't know if I could handle this. So, When we have these come-to-our-senses moments, every time in our life, whether it's a big, huge one or a smaller daily one, we have to make a decision. And basically, there's only two decisions at this point. First of all, we can sense the Holy Spirit trying to break through into our life and bring us to this point of coming to our senses, which is the work of the Spirit, because we won't come there on our own. We won't volunteer for this. The Spirit has to break through into our lives. So the first option is, we just make the walls stronger and thicker to keep the Holy Spirit out so we don't have to come to our senses. Maybe blame somebody else, maybe rationalize, compare, whatever. Or the second option is, we can build a little wall, a little door, I mean, a little window, and let the Holy Spirit in. It's not like our life is totally fixed and we're totally vulnerable and naked before the Lord, but we're saying, Lord, I can't handle this on my own. I need you to break in. I need you to make a a difference. I invite you to come in and to help me come to my senses. Now, what does that look like? Well, it could be a big thing. It could be a big life quake kind of thing. Like, I know some people come to their senses and they say, I came to my senses when I had an addiction I couldn't get over. I came to my uh, senses when the divorce papers came. I came to my senses when I reached the top of my career, but I realized it wasn't enough. I came to my senses when um, a loved one died. I came to my senses when a child was in trouble. Now, some of these things are directly our fault. Some of them are not at all. But... Every one of them can be a call to something deeper, into more freedom. What does it look like? Well, let me give you two examples from my own life, specific examples. One was that happened a long time ago and one that's happened in the last four to six months. I was about 16 years old. I was not a Christian. I did not want to be a Christian because I knew Christians and I didn't want to be one of them. I liked Jesus, but I didn't like his followers. And I really wanted to be cool. And becoming a Christian, I didn't think, was a path to coolness. So I had nothing to do with that. But then I came to my senses when I looked out at the world and I realized how broken the world is. But I had this deep longing, like, I want to make a difference in the world. I somehow want to be, like, used for something good. But I realized I'm part of the problem. I'm part of the problem of the brokenness of the world. I'm as broken as everybody else. And that was my point of like, boom, the come to senses moment 
where it's like, I need Jesus. That was the moment when I opened the door and I said, Jesus, I need you to come into my life. I need you to come into my heart. I can't do this on my own. Let me give you another example. Fast forward. I could give you hundreds of examples. I could give you hundreds of examples when I've built walls, tighter walls around it. But let me give you another one that the Lord is dealing with me now. And you, you think about your own life. You think about your life. Where's the Lord calling you to come to your senses? So about four months ago, became friends. Well, actually, it started about a year ago, but about four months ago is when I really had this come to my senses moment. I have a friend named Lawrence who's a young African-American pastor from Brooklyn. Lawrence and I have been talking a lot about race issues in America. And it's dawned on me that I, like, know almost nothing except for what I've picked up on the media, about what it means to be a black male in America. I know nothing about his life. I know nothing about why he, the people that he cares about so passionately. I know nothing about the preachers that he loves so much. He is a preacher. I know nothing about black history, really. Almost nothing. And it was a come-to-my-senses moment. It's like, how can we be the body of Christ if we're so divided along racial lines. And I'm not talking about everybody worshiping together in the same place every Sunday. I'm not even talking about that. I'm just talking about even just understanding each other, understanding what his life is like. That was a come to my senses moment. Again, this is not the low point of the story, although it may feel like a low point. It can really be a turning point with God's work of redemption. We'll get to that. So what happens after we come to our senses? Because this is crucial. The prodigal son says, I will set out. He's determined. He's, I am going to go back to where I came from. I'm going to come back to myself, but more importantly, I'm going to go back to my father. I will set out. Those are four of the most important words in this whole story where he says, I will set out, I'm going back. And he banks everything on one thing, the grace and mercy of the Father. Now, a lot of times, pastors, preachers, people, they read the story, they really give the prodigal son a bad rap, like he did everything wrong. He didn't. This is a good moment in his life. He's come to his senses, and now he's heading back. So with longing in his heart, He sets back to the Father's house, banking on the Father's grace and mercy. And what does he find? Well, as he's journeying to his Father, he's going this way. He's trying to prepare his script. He's trying to get it all right. He's trying to get it all ready. He's trying to, you know, be perfect, the perfect little Christian, the perfect little person returning to God's house. What do we find? Jesus says the Father comes running to him this way. Christian life is not so much an ascent to God as it is the descent of God to us, into our sin, into our mess, into our need. So the Father comes running towards him, and there's a great little detail in this story that sometimes we can fly right by among many great details, but a great little detail. It says in verse 20, the Father was filled with compassion for him. I was thinking about that this week thinking about what do I think or feel that God the Father feels about me? Not just what's theologically correct, 
which is important. But what do I, what does the Father feel about you? What do you think God feels about you? You ever ask yourself that question? Jesus gave us the answer. He's filled with compassion. And he comes towards us. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. Or he kissed him tenderly. This is a moment of tenderness. I like to contrast it with, remember this point of wild living? Where the prodigal son thought he was so alive and so human and so in touch with himself. This wild living. Here's God. God is wildly loving. Life is not just about wild living. It's about wild loving. That is wild living. It's loving wildly. So the father loves him wildly, filled with compassion for him. You know, about uh, six, seven years ago, I got addicted to a TV drama show called Without a Trace. Without a Trace ran for eight seasons long. I think I've watched every episode in the span of maybe six months. And Without a Trace focuses on an FBI unit that tries to find missing persons. So somebody goes missing. Uh, you know, father of three children goes missing, or a husband and wife go missing, or uh, a single college student goes missing. And then there's a race against time because they have to find the person and bring them back. Find out why they're missing, so they have to follow the clues and then at the end of every episode, except about 10% of the episodes, the person that's missing dies, okay? So that's sad. Just throw enough of those in there to just keep you honest so you're not sure what's going to happen. But about 80 to 90% of them, they find the missing person or they find the missing persons. And then at the end of the show, after all this drama, after following these clues, after all these false chases, the person is reunited with the people they love. So... The husband and wife that went missing are reunited to their children. The college student that went missing reunited to her friends. The child that's missing reunited to her parents. You know, and it happened every time. The plot was so predictable. And the ending was so poorly done. It was so cheesy. And the music was so cheesy. And the, the acting was like so substandard. And so I knew all this was coming every time, every episode. And then every time, it would like get me. It's like, I start choking up. It's like, I can't believe it. They're reunited again. It's like, what did you think was going to happen, you know? And it's so poorly done. So dozens of times, choking up, crying, reunion. Now, it could be. I just like really cheesy TV cop dramas, which is true, you know, but it could also be something deeper, that maybe it's tapping into a deeper story, the truest story, the story with a capital S of all stories, which is this story, the Father that is waiting to embrace us. Now let me just ask one question, because it's a really important question. And sometimes it's easy to ask as we read this story. As a Christian, sometimes I've, I've often asked, you know, like, okay, that's a great story. The Father embraces us, forgives us, all that kind of stuff. But where's Jesus in this story? Where's Jesus? Where's the cross? Where's the resurrection? What, where's the cross? What, 
I mean, that's so central. There's no cross in this story, is there? But actually there is. Because this isn't just, you can't just pluck this out of Jesus' life. Remember who's telling this story. This is Jesus. This is the one who was fully God, who became human, who came down to live among us, who was born of the Virgin Mary, who lived as an ordinary human being, who as the first scripture reading you heard, he took his sins on our body on the cross. Did you hear what else the first scripture reading read from 2 Corinthians? It said God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. So as Jesus is standing, telling this story, God was in Christ, (coughs) reconciling the world to himself, offering himself on the cross for the redemption of all of our sins, all the reasons why we need to come to our senses. Jesus is not just merely telling us about the Father, the Father is in him. As someone said, Jesus is the voice of the Father's heart that overtakes us in the distant country and says, you can come home. Jesus is that voice. Now, let me just give you some pastoral word as as we end, as we move towards the rest of our service and move towards the Eucharist. Just a very simple word. And that is, based on this story, based on who Jesus is, You don't need to be afraid of these come-to-your-senses moments. We're so afraid. We're so afraid of our shame, so defensive, rationalize, compare, anything to just feel that moment and begin the walk to freedom. Want to blame others? Based on Jesus, based on who he is, based on what he's done, Draw a big cross in the middle. Need another color, but there you go. Based on what he's done, you can come home. You can come home to yourself, and you can come home to the Father. So maybe you have a big turning point in your life. Maybe there's something really big that you need to come to your senses. Maybe it's the first time you've ever come to your senses. The first time to let open up a door in your life and let Christ come into your life. Maybe you just need to make some kind of daily adjustments between you and Jesus. Some daily coming to your senses moments. We all need those. Look back on your day and think, yeah, I was really harsh there. I was kind of controlling there. Man, I really lived out of fear there. Lord Jesus, open me up to you. Receive me. Take me home. See, when you know where you come from, where you're going, who's telling the story, you can face anything about yourself. You can face the worst about yourself. You can face the worst accusations about yourself that other people might be hurling at you. You can face your fears for the future. You can face your regret for the past. You can face your present. You can face anything because Christ is who he said he is. So let the Holy Spirit break in this Lenten season as we approach Holy Week. Let the Holy Spirit and Ask yourself this question, why would I not want to come to my senses and experience the amazing freedom that Jesus has for me? Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, 
visit churchres.org.